You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. This is Richard Jacobs from the Future Tech, the Future Tech Health Podcast. I have uh, Paula Baker Laporte. Uh, she's um, she works at Healthy Home Design. She does consulting. Uh, she graduated from the University of Toronto School of Architecture at the International Institute of Biobiology and Ecology in 1995. And she's dedicated her architectural practice to the registered architect and a fellow um, to the precepts of environmentally sound health and enhancing architecture, which sounds good to me. Uh, I get a feeling from going into buildings, either a good or a bad one. And I guess I, I thought for a while it was surprising how much a building environment affects me mentally and emotionally. It does. Maybe I'm a, you know, I'm a sensitive person. I don't know, but I have a feeling that her work is super important. So, Paula, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So within the world of architecture, why, why this focus? Like, what drew you to it? Uh, well, I came upon this focus when I became ill uh, 30 years ago didn't know what was wrong with me, went from doctor to doctor to doctor, and finally uh, discovered that I was sensitive to chemicals that we were all the time. It was an eye-opener, because no one had ever mentioned anything about health the whole time I had studied uh, architecture. Was this chemicals in your home, or at work, or where? Everywhere. Uh, once, uh, you know, I was one of uh, a growing number of people who became uh, pretty sensitized, and so reacted to chemicals at a very small uh, amount in in any environment that was um, was thought to be a safe amount. When you say um, you reacted, what would happen? Would you sneeze or cough or feel sick or what? What would the symptoms be? Well, it's uh, different for everybody. There are many different paths it could take. For me, um, because I was in a uh, living in an environment that was not a healthy environment, unbeknownst to me. I was getting uh, pneumonia every year, and then when I was exposed to raw chemicals, um, I would lose focus or uh, feel dizzy or a number of symptoms. I was just feeling unwell. I was tired, um, and until I learned the, uh, once I understood that chemicals could affect me this way, I could see the uh, one-on-one relationship. For example, I would go to a shopping mall and uh, get a headache because I was in there and often couldn't remember what I'd come to get. And it turns out that the formaldehyde levels in shopping malls, at least back then, were fairly high because they used formaldehyde in um, in all the clothing uh, to size Wait. it so it fit neatly on the um, 
in the stores. So once I understood where chemicals were in an environment, it just became, oh yes, this is causing that. But until then, it was a big mystery. And it was a mystery to any of the doctors I went to because they'd never heard of such a thing. So one place I guess you could control was at least your home environment and probably your car. Was that exactly. your thinking and was that prompted you to action? Yes. At first I thought, well, I can't be an architect anymore because I'm exposed to chemicals all the time. And then I, you know, I said, wait a minute, if, if they're bad for me, aren't they bad for other people who aren't as symptomatic? Is, um, how can we do this healthier? So that uh, became a wonderful new start to a career. It was 30 years ago, and this has been our focus for all of that time. Okay. Did you start with your own home, or did you, like, how did you start to implement and gather what, you know, so how did you figure out, okay, uh, how do I change the architecture of a building, or how do I alter the environment such that it would be healthier? <laughs> how did you start that process? Well, it's ironic, because I was uh, doing a home for a person who was a doctor who later became my dear friend and my co-author of our first book. And um, she discovered she was chemically sensitive. She was working at a clinic that was, um, they were using pesticides and the fresh air return was sucking up aldehydes from the uh, sterilization of the medical equipment. And she was getting sicker and sicker and didn't know why. And so by the time we were uh, starting her house, she said, Paula, I know what's wrong with me, and guess what? That's what's wrong with you, too. And so that was our first healthy house. And um, I thought it was going to be my only healthy house. Uh, we started to learn what we could at that time, and then people started calling us. They were coming out of the woodwork and saying, I have the same thing. I heard that you two know what to do. Can you help me? And so that was the start of this uh, path. And then we thought, well, we know so much, we'll write a book. And then you know, the prospect of writing a book, we realized we were just um, skimming the surface. And so lots of research came after that. So what are what are some things that people can do or what are some things that you found are essential to do to make sure the environment is uh, you know better than it could be? What, what are some of the, um, I don't know, like, so if someone suspects they have a chemical sensitivity, what yes. do they start with? How do they start even figuring out if they do or not, or assuming that they do, how do they start the process of improving their environment? So how do you make a healthy house is really the question. And um, I'll, I'll give some highlights. It's a uh, basically you do a thousand things differently. Um, those thousand things have gotten easier and easier to do as uh, the public and manufacturers become aware that healthy materials should be used in the construction of a home. Uh, what goes wrong with homes? Well, there's three basic things that we see over and over again. Either the house has too many chemicals in it, or the house gets moldy, or there's electromagnetic uh, radiation, either generated by the household wiring or coming into the house from the surrounding. So if you already live in a house that isn't supporting health, there are several things you can do. Uh, if you're going to do renovation and your funds are limited, people's funds are limited for this kind of project, um, then we start with the bedroom and create what's called a bedroom sanctuary. So at least when that person is sleeping for their eight hours, seven hours in bed, uh, they don't have sheets with chemicals, they don't have bed with chemicals, they don't have, uh, they've turned off the electricity to their room and the room has been checked for mold. Uh, people can't once people get sick, they have trouble finding places to live because they can't tolerate what many people, many people think they're in a fine home, but to someone who's already ill and is hypersensitive, that home is a sick home. So start with the bedroom, start with standalone filters. Uh, if we're starting from scratch, 
we try to uh, or we do eliminate the most probable causes of things that will turn into moldy houses later. Where do we find mold? Crawl spaces, basements, attics, leaks. So we build in measures that will prevent that from happening. Specify every every uh, product going into the buildings to make sure that they're benign and don't have chemicals of concern and um, introduce protocols into the construction. And the result is that you'll walk in a home that has no odor. Electromagnetics have been tamed, and it's a home that over time won't get moldy. But what if you're feel overwhelmed by the whole process and you're not feeling well already? How can you mm-hmm. take the first baby steps towards helping yourself and your unlimited budget? Yeah, welcome to, welcome to the world of most people who are in this situation. As I said, if you have a home that's at least workable, in other words, the home may have some chemicals, there aren't any overriding mold problems, and you're not living next door to a cell tower or something that uh, you have no control over, then the first baby step is, where am I sleeping? As I mentioned, Uh, secondly, you can get standalone filtration. So there's portable air filters that one can buy that do a really good job of filtering out chemicals opening windows, just deeper cleaning with non-toxic cleaning products, getting a HEPA vacuum, making sure that there's not a lot of dust and um, you know chemicals in the dust that you're, you're breathing all the time. All of those things are simpler things that you can do. So um, what are like the hidden sources that seem to be the worst offenders for people? Is it, you know, let's say it started with the bedroom. Is it the sheets and the pillows and pillowcases or is it just the air in the bedroom? Like uh, well, the answer is going to be yes. What could be in a bedroom? Well, the walls could be moldy. On the exterior walls, there could be hidden mold that you wouldn't know about, couldn't smell, couldn't see. Um, it could be uh, that there's electromagnetic issues with the home wiring that can be corrected or at least shut off at night. And it could be that there are, um, you know, the bed, most standard beds have a lot of chemicals in them, including fire retardants. So. Um, there's, you know, you start with what you have. You take the obvious electrical. You don't need a plugged-in alarm clock beside your head. If you can afford a better mattress, go there. If you can't, then get a mattress cover that's benign. Uh, get sheets, the cotton sheets that are organic. They're readily available now. Make sure the home is clean or the room is clean and uncluttered. So those are baby steps that one can take. What about the uh, the architecture of a home itself? Is there a way to lay out the rooms? Um, you know, there's obviously you could open the window, et cetera, but or open the doors. But is there a way to, you know, to design a home so that air flows better and isn't stagnant? And you know, there's probably a lot Absolutely. of things that wouldn't even consider. Like, what are some of the architectural things? Sure. Uh, if I, if we're starting from scratch, uh, just for a, I'll say a normal healthy house for a healthy person, uh, we want to examine: Is there a basement or crawl space? Does there have to be one? Uh, if one has to have one. What steps do we make to create it healthier? What often happens is people move into a brand new home with a brand new basement, put sheetrock in the walls of the basement. Those basement walls are still drying for many, many years, and the sheetrock would get more because that's paper face. So I won't get into too many details, but there are for each there are many steps you can take to to finish out a basement. For example, if you have to have one, if you can do without one or a crawl space. Wonderful. Um, attached garage is another uh, 
obvious source of pollution that is so common that people don't even think twice about it. Um, so how can you have a detached garage with a breezeway leading to your house? That would be healthiest if the garage has to be attached. Can you um, exhaust the air out of the garage? Uh, can you make it airtight, the connection to the house, etc.? So there are many, many levels we can work on. One is I, there's the ideal home, and then there's uh, how do we work the cultural compromises. You know, I've had people tell me we can't detach a garage because it'll lessen our real estate value. How do we work with that to make the best out of a not so good built-in cultural problem? Uh, rooms can be designed so they each have cross ventilation. Now, for someone with special needs, we can introduce higher levels of filtration. I like to create a screened-in porch where people can sleep outdoors if anything happens to the home. They're not homeless. They have somewhere they can. Uh, we take care of definitely electromagnetics, etc. And some people, for example, can't even be around uh, kitchen smells, the smell of food cooking. So then that needs to be an isolated room. Some people need an absolute decontamination of their visitors. Their house is fine, and then someone comes in who lives in a moldy house, and that could be very ill. So sometimes we create a decontamination for guests. Yeah, you know, it's funny. It's evoking a whole bunch of memories. Like, you know, my dad smoked for a while, and when my first child was born, my wife said, you know, you can't hold the baby unless you, like, change your shirt, you know, at least wash your hands and all that stuff. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm thinking about, like, if I've ever accompanied my wife to a nail salon, I can't even stand to go in there. I don't know the people that work in those places are alive and not dead of all kinds of horrible diseases, breathing that stuff. And I just, yep. you know, now that as you're talking, I just feel like over time I've gotten more sensitive to stuff. Like, like my wife, you know, got into an accident and we got a new car and I couldn't ride in it for the first two months because, they must have treated all the interior stuff with some kind of horrible chemicals and it just gave me terrible allergies. And, you know, yeah. I had to like, I had someone wipe down the inside of the car and leave the windows open overnight, mm-hmm. for like three nights in a row. And I mean, just to like get rid of that crap. And I, it's terrible. You know? It is terrible. And uh, new cars are very, very challenging. And there are things you can do. There's a, a, for example, a new car filter that you can get from um, uh, the company is Faust and they make a filter that uh, has a canister in it for the kinds of chemicals that are found in new cars. And that has been the only way I've survived a new car is to uh, drive around with that filter going for the first few months. And um, you, uh, so you are typical then of someone who's beginning to realize they are sensitive. Um, One of the telltale signs is smells bother you. Mm -hmm. Yep. Like, uh, my, you know, my wife has switched to, like, a lot of natural cleaners, you know, vinegar, things like that. And mm-hmm. all of a sudden, like, I don't know, someone else in my house put, like, leech things in the toilets. And I was like, it made me sick. I was like, I cannot have that. It's, you know, right away, it was just awful. You bring up a great point. Products that a person uses in their house are crucial. So it's it's not enough to just create a, a healthy home. That per, the, uh, An unaware homeowner could ruin it in a day by plugging in those uh scented air things or you know using scented uh laundry products so it goes hand in hand you need to be educated about how you use the house and you're mentioning some really good examples so i didn't want to let that pass yeah no that's fine it's just it you know part of the problem is when you live with someone if they're not sensitive to you they'll tell you oh you're fine oh, i don't smell anything oh, you know it's it, there's also a psychological component where people have to respect and understand that some people have these problems. To you, let's say it may not bother you at all, but to someone else, it may be like horrible. Yes, uh, absolutely. And there's a little bit more awareness now. Now you'll see occasionally 
this is a scent-free premise or, you know, it's just like smoking. Uh, people who smoke didn't realize that when you're sitting in a restaurant, you really don't want to be inhaling their fumes. But the idea of not allowing people to smoke in a restaurant was unheard of. What was it, 20 or 30 years ago? And now it's the norm. And um, I'm hoping we'll come to that same level of awareness just about scented products in general. Yeah, like Febreze and Wick and all those things. You know, when I travel now, I go to hotels and it seems like just every room has stuff in it, you know, and I don't know. It's just, it's frustrating. I'm sure it makes it very difficult if it gets bad enough to go anywhere. It is. Many people are pretty homebound. Um, I travel, I, I consider myself well now and I travel a lot for work but I still uh, call ahead to the hotel and uh, make sure the sheets are unscented and that they're willing to clean the room with just vinegar and water because oh, you uh, ask I'm, for that. yeah you can ask for that and most places don't think you're crazy anymore 20 years ago they thought it was nuts uh, huh. even had places hang up on me but now um, there's so much more awareness that um, if you know to ask you might be okay is there but um... that I don't know. Is there a de- a, an MCS or you know multiple chemical sensitivity designation that people can get if they have enough problems, so that when they travel or when they go to places that they can show a badge or something and request things to be modified, and that would give you know some credence I, to what they're saying. I wish there were. There are um, th- more doctors are finally becoming aware of MCS, but uh, for a long and I I still don't know if it's a recognized condition by the AMA. And so, no, that that doesn't usually work. But people are aware of allergies, you know. Um, and I've even in, flying in Canada, I've heard announcements: don't open any bags with peanuts in them. There may be someone with peanut sensitivities, and now things mm-hmm. are labeled. So I I don't even bother to explain. I just say I have I am allergic to perfume, and it yeah, puts well, it in a yeah. context context that they may begin to understand. But it is. Um, you know, once you do create a home that's a sanctuary, it's very hard to travel. Um, it's appalling, really, to uh, realize the toxics that are out there in day-to-day living in many environments, most environments. I was going to joke with you that the AMA would never be able to say that, you know, MCS is a condition because they would want to prescribe another chemical to fix it, which wouldn't work. So by very yeah, definition, <laughs> it probably won't um, happen. Yeah, there is, well, a lot of people are misdiagnosed, and then when the uh, diagnosis doesn't work, they're referred to a psychiatrist. Uh, and yeah, in fact, yeah, that's true. Many people with uh, chemical sensitivity see many doctors before they finally find someone who can work with them. Same thing with uh, mold toxicity and electromagnetics. They're, they're complex uh, conditions, and I I am happy that it seems we're going and that we're headed in the right direction medically. Uh, we're just not there yet for people who are suffering. So how do people um, work with you or what? what is the name for a consultant that you could get, you know, help you evaluate your home's air and EMF? Are they, are they called like Wait, building well, biologists? What would you call that person? Yes. Uh, well, I, so my, what I, I work as an architect more. I'm not a home inspector per se. I, I work at the the other end of the spectrum, but the the Building Biology Institute is a great organization, which I it's my mother organization, I would say, uh, and actually faculty there, and um, have been involved for many many years. Because when all of these things were wrong with me, they were the only ones that understood what was going on. And um, on their website, it's uh, building org. There's a find an expert page. And it's listed geographically, and there someone could go and find um, people with the certification to come in and 
look at their home in a holistic way and test it and see what's wrong, what's going on, what's wrong with it, and then offer constructive suggestions about how to repair it. Okay, and then um, last couple of questions. So on the architecture side, what do you find yourself doing and what kind of clients are requesting it? I mean, do you get any commercial requests or this is all residential? I really am, I really mostly specialize in residential. I've worked on some commercial things, but I, I wear two hats. We do architectural design from the very beginning for people who want health. And uh, then I can apply all of the wonderful, subtle principles of building biology that not only create a house that's toxic-free, it's nurturing in every respect. I love doing that work. Um, but I also work as a consultant um, all over North America for people who have already sensitivities or other people who just know they want a healthy house. And then I work with their team, their architect, their builder, their officials, and we work together. And I help with uh, educating uh, the team and then prepare a manual for them. Uh, it's about a 70 or 80 page manual that at best becomes part of the construction contract. And it, um, it lists all of the protocols and materials that are safe and then we're on hand to uh, vet other materials if uh, the builder wants to use them or it's all that's available or um, there's some belief that it's a fine product we'll look at it and and uh, let the owners and the team know yes this is a healthy product go ahead and use it or we don't know enough about it from the information available or here are some chemicals of concern that are red listed by 20 organizations. I wouldn't use this. Um, this is worth sending away for something better. Are there any that you know you're able to mention on the hit list, good or bad? Surprisingly so. Surprisingly good. Surprisingly bad. Chemicals? Well, yeah. Um, or, the, or things you bring into your home. Things that people would run into commonly. Yeah. There's about 85,000 chemicals, and we only have complete oh. information on about seven percent of them. So there's a lot of information missing. But of those 7%, um, there's chemicals like uh, good examples formaldehyde. Um, now you will see products that say they're formaldehyde-free. When I got ill, it was primarily from formaldehyde, and it was in everything. Paints, glues, plywood products. It was just used throughout the house. And um, like you, I started off kind of a sensitive person, and it just threw me over the top. So if I see, I can guarantee that if there's, um, for every product that has formaldehyde in it, there's another product made for the same purpose that doesn't anymore. So mm. there's um, several red lists um, that are available by different organizations, um, and we pay attention to them all, and we call those the chemicals of concern. If someone wants a, a very quick, beautiful education in this, I would uh, send them to... Um, the Green Science Institute and their six classes. Arlene Bloom came up with six classes of chemicals that we should avoid. And um, there's a little video on each of them. So in a short amount of time, someone can um, learn about the major challenges um, in in our potentially in our environments and to avoid those. So I think that's a great start for anyone. Okay. Well, that's fantastic. Well, these are good resources, and I'm glad to have spoken to you. So, Paula, thank you for coming on the podcast. You're welcome. Look for our fourth edition of Prescriptions for a Healthy House. It's going to be coming out um, sometime probably in the new year, and that'll be the most complete and up-to-date uh, book that we've done. Okay. Um, it should be very helpful to anyone who wants to know. Excellent. You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. 
until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. FutureTech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials, or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription, or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you.